quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. It's the focus on the customer experience, the customer service, delivering a top-notch customer experience to your residents of your community so they want to stay and treating and giving your property managers and your on-site staff, the people that work with you and for you every day, giving them a top-notch customer experience as well as a valued partner. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm joined by Cody Laughlin. Cody is joining us from Houston, Texas. His company is Blue Oak Capital. He is a full-time real estate entrepreneur, but also a part-time registered nurse. Blue Oak Capital syndicates mid to large scale apartment buildings. Their focus is on class A and B assets across central Texas. Current portfolio consists of 950 units of multifamily and also 350 square feet of industrial. Cody, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Absolutely. And Slocum, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back here on the show, but very similar to most other people. I started my W-2 career back around 2008, and I came from a family of traditional roots, meaning that education was driven in us from the time that I was very young. So I didn't find my entrepreneurial journey until a couple of years after starting my W-2 career. But like most everybody, went to school, graduated with a degree, started a W-2 career, in hopes of pursuing the American dream. And my wife and I did just that. We migrated from Louisiana to Houston, Texas. We got married, bought a house, and started our careers in December of 2008. And we were off to the races, so to speak. And I didn't realize how fortunate I was at the time in 2008 to, number one, be able to start a career because that was just right in the onset of the great financial crisis. But I was fortunate enough to watch what was happening around me with people that I started working with that had long extended careers, 30, 40 years that were getting in that retirement age and that retirement window, but were absolutely just crushed by the great financial crisis. They started to worry about how are they going to exit? How are they going to retire? Their retirement assets were decimated. And it really enlightened me into what I thought to be financial independence or wealth building was actually a false ideology. you invest in a 401k, you work 40 years, and then you're going to retire with this great glamorous retirement. And make a very long story short, 2010, my wife and I decided to sell our first starter home. We had bought a second home and we were in the wake of the housing crash and we couldn't sell the first home. And we were stuck paying two mortgages, which we couldn't afford. And we started to panic. So the only logical option was to put a tenant in that first home and lease it out. And I became an accidental landlord. And that was my introduction into real estate. But it was through that experience, once I discovered that, that really changed my entire outlook on how to build financial wealth, how to build financial independence, this idea of passive income. And I started pursuing real estate entrepreneurship since. And spent about eight years in residential real estate doing a bunch of different strategies, tried some non-real estate related business ventures and then made my way into commercial in 2019, which has been our sole focus since. And as you alluded to in my bio, we've 
since acquired and syndicated about 950 multifamily units and a couple of industrial properties and been having a fun time doing it. That's awesome. Cody, you said, at least I said in your bio that your focus is currently on mid to large size commercial multifamily. So I'll come back to that. 350,000 square feet of industrial space, class A and B in central Texas is not a portfolio to just shrug off. How did you get into industrial there? Well, with the multifamily market in particular, starting to become what we felt overheated, there was a lot of competition. We saw asset values that were just really getting out of line with fundamentals. We started to look at other asset types that were parallel to multifamily as far as demand drivers and fundamentals. And we were surprised to discover that industrial had been kind of right there alongside multifamily as far as the two leading asset types over the last several years in regards to, again, those demand drivers and such. So we found some operators in the industrial space that already had experience that had already been acquiring those type of properties. And we looked at the business model and really was surprised to see that it's, again, very comparable to a multifamily type model. So we jumped in industrial in 2022 and I've been able to partner on two syndications with two good operators. And yeah, I love the product. It makes multifamily look at rocket science when you look at the business model and performance. You're dealing with very different tenant bases, but very predictable business models, which we like. And the returns are very compelling as well. Timing this out, Cody, when did you decide to make the transition to industrial? And have you transitioned back to multifamily? Are you investing in both in tandem currently? Yeah, it's definitely investing in both in tandem. So again, we acquired partnered on that first industrial property in early 2022. And the idea was to make this a second asset type in our portfolio. We definitely didn't want to deviate from multifamily, but we knew that multifamily was getting at that point where transactional volume was slowing. We were feeling the impact from the rising cost of capital and the interest rate environment. So we started to see the slowdown and such. So we were kind of looking at other alternatives. So industrial just was a great complement to our portfolio. So we definitely invest in both as tandem. Cody, we will both record and air this episode in the third quarter of 2023. Investing in medium to large size multifamily, I'd like for you to put numbers on what that means to you, medium to large size multifamily, but investing in tandem in multifamily and industrial currently acquiring Are there particular MSAs that you're focused on right now in Central Texas? When it comes to the assets that interest you currently, whether multifamily or industrial, what are the key variables or the key traits or locations within an MSA that you're targeting right now? Well, to go back to the first part of your question, as far as our target markets in Central Texas, we're very blessed to be in the largest MSA here in Houston or formerly largest, I think Dallas has passed us up recently, but we're blessed to be in markets like Houston. And we believe investing in the markets that we know and that are in close proximity that we can be a very visible presence in. So Houston and San Antonio are two target markets. We have solid fundamentals and demand drivers in both those target areas. And I think over the long term, they make for really solid investment markets if you know how to buy, which is anywhere, right? Now, when it comes to looking at characteristics as far as What do we look at as target markets? They are different from the two asset types, multifamily and industrial. The locations that we would typically choose to invest in for multifamily per se are actually maybe not the same type of target locations that you would look for for industrial. 
So industrial, you're looking for more locations that are ideally centered around industrial hubs or industrial port transport centers, like we have the Port of Houston here. So anywhere in and around the Port of Houston is a great area for industrial type properties, but may not be the best area for multifamily properties. So for multifamily, particularly, we look at areas that are more towards certain population demographics and regional demographics and fundamentals. And then with industrial, we look for more proximity to, again, transport centers or distribution hubs that make for great demand for that type of product. But what we've learned early on in our career is that you've heard this over and over from other operators too. Things get easier from an operational perspective as you go larger. So when we talk about mid to large size apartment buildings, we're looking at anything that's 100, 150 units or larger. And then industrial, again, kind of same square footprint. You're looking for at least 100,000 square feet or larger for that, just because it makes the economies of scale so much easier to operate and manage. So kind of covered a lot there, but that's the general synopsis. Especially with location, Cody, that's very helpful general advice for any MSA at any time that anyone is investing. What I'm asking for here is a little bit more of your secret sauce. When it comes to Houston and the other areas that you invest in, the trends that you're seeing in Q3 2023, which ones do you think are valuable to track when it comes to industrial investing and apartment investing? And which ones are guiding your decisions on properties that you're currently interested in acquiring? Well, right now, I think the biggest driver of the sensitivity for us comes down to household median income. And although that sounds rudimentary and that's part of anyone's basic due diligence when you're looking at a certain location, I think more so now than ever, that's going to be very important because what we're discovering now is that residents are feeling the pain of this economic environment. They are feeling the pain of this inflationary environment, and we're seeing it in our properties. We've been seeing rises in delinquencies and evictions and such, and predominantly more so on our class C type product in our portfolio that has a demographic that doesn't have much of a disposable income. They're relying more on things like credit cards and things like that to pay their rent and to pay their expenses. And that ultimately just leads into eventual, again, delinquencies and collection issues. And so for us, leaning towards a demographic that has a higher household median income than either the city or local or state average is ideal. So typically more of your white collar type of employees or residents is where we find more comfort in because that's a more resilient demographic. Also feeling the effects of this environment, but I think has more elasticity to be able to weather these type of economic headwinds that we're looking at. And I would argue the same fundamentals for industrial as well. You want to be in an area that, again, is surrounded by local businesses and local demographics that can support the demand for those type of businesses and distribution centers that are coming into their backyards. Going back to taking median income very seriously... Are you simply looking to invest in areas where the median income is higher or are there particular median income bands where it looks like apartment investing is going to be the most stable in an inflationary environment regardless of just how much income it is? Yeah, it's multifactorial. You have to also consider median household prices of a particular region or area. And what we predominantly look for is Areas where the cost of living for 
owning and paying a mortgage on a single family home will exceed the cost or affordability of renting per se. And again, we're fortunate to see that here in Houston, where a lot of the areas that we particularly like to invest in in Houston, for example, the affordability gap is too high for most of the resident demographic. They try to go buy a single family home for 350000 with a 7% interest and their mortgage payments $1,000 higher t- today than what it was 12 months ago. So there's almost a $1,000 gap in between the cost of a mortgage and the cost of rent here in Houston. So that bodes very favorable for us as apartment owners. And we look for areas that really highlight that and capture that affordability gap. And we apply that same formula into other target markets, again, like San Antonio, same thing. So it's multifactorial. It's not just the household median income. Yes, we want to be above the city average. Yes, we want to be above the state or national average, but we also want to be in an area that median prices for homes are far exceeding the affordability of that same demographic as well. Naturally, I guess if you're focused on above average incomes, you end up in class A and class B areas, right? Given the focus on class A and B, which historically tend to have lower cash flow than class C areas, but more appreciation potential, you've married that multifamily investing with industrial investing. What are the target returns and what is the business plan here? Is it With both multifamily and industrial, the typical value add, roughly five-year hold period, is that the business plan here? And then what returns are you targeting that has you looking to combine multifamily and industrial? When you go back and you look at the return expectations on your Class A and your Class E product, up until last year, they were actually very closely aligned because we saw a major cap rate compression in the value-add space and the C-class product. People were willing to pay a premium for the opportunity to go acquire these value-add deals where they can force this crazy appreciation and capitalize on the market. But now, getting back to more historical norms, yeah, a Class A product is not going to produce your outsized returns. It's not going to produce your 20% annualized returns or your two to three X multiples like you see in some of these value add deals. But there's to us a lot of comfort in keeping the business plan simple, focusing on customer service and focusing on maximizing operations and efficiencies. So for us, we really target your five-year hold, five to 6% cash on cash return, 12% IRR, and then about a 1.75 to two X multiple With the Class A product, we actually are comfortable with looking at extended timelines for a holding period. We'll go out a 7 to 10 year if we've got to reach those same target returns. But again, there's a lot of comfort in knowing that there's just not as much execution risk when it comes to those type of deals. And you can get better financing as well for those Class A, Class B products. So industrial, a little bit different industrial. We really like the flex industrial space where there's multiple residents in a certain square foot, not just one massive company like an Amazon, for example, but ultimately the return drivers are very much the same. So that's our return profile. And again, we use the acronym KISS, right? Keep it simple, stupid. We don't look for anything that requires you to go in and and do too much speculation. Conservative, stable return projections from a conservative, stable asset, even within multifamily going for the properties that are going to be simpler to execute on business plans that are simpler to execute on so that you know that your projected returns are more secure. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you thinking about investing in multifamily real estate? Need some insight on how it's done? 
On the Small X Podcast, multifamily investor Nico Salgado interviews the top multifamily investors in the nation to uncover the secrets and strategies behind their success. He also features newer multifamily investors chronicling their journeys for a full year so you can learn alongside other investors. Nico believes that it only takes a small axe to build an empire. So if you're ready to build your multifamily empire, check out the Small Axe Podcast with Nico Salgado on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. You spoke to this question early on in this conversation, but why did you need to complement that with industrial? And what is it about the returns that you're seeing in industrial commercial real estate that differ in order to complement the portfolio? What we were seeing in multifamily is that true cash flow wasn't being generated as much with the values that we were purchasing deals at. You were having to go to longer term durations throughout your life cycles to really capture some of those extended cash flows. And what we saw in the industrial space is industrial doesn't benefit as much from forced appreciation as it does from just generating nice, steady, predictable cash flow. So that's where we saw the complement. We saw a lot of value appreciation in our multifamily portfolio with reduced cash flows. In industrial, we saw the opposite. We saw an opportunity to capture true in-place cash flow with not as much potential for equity upside at the back end. So to give you an example, we were buying multifamily deals on a four or five cap up until last year. Industrial, we bought our industrial deals on a seven cap. So just better going in in-place cash flow day one. And that was a good compliment to what we were seeing on the multifamily side. Cody, thinking in terms of the passive investors that have invested with you, going to industrial to get that day one cash flow to help balance out the limited or lack of cash flow from class A apartments. That makes a lot of sense. Thinking about your limited partners, are there individual investments blended in the two portfolios or are you keeping the apartments in the industrial separate when it comes to individual investments that are being made offered to your investors and giving them the option to choose accordingly, understanding that if they go into both with you, they'll have the blended increased cash flow from the industrial with the potential for the better long-term play with the class A apartments? That's a great question. So we're keeping every individual asset different and the industrial product addition to our portfolio was something new. So what we wanted to do is really get a general sense of what our investors felt about that space and whether they felt it was compelling or not. So we've kept each individual asset as its own individual investment opportunity. Looking over the long term, I do believe in the fund model 
And I do believe that the potential for us to look at creating a cash flow fund where we are acquiring multiple different asset types, multifamily, industrial, and we're looking at some other ones as well, could come into play. And that way, investors will have access to a variety of different asset types that produce a certain cash flow model. I do set that being in our long-term future, but for now, each individual asset's its own investment opportunity and it's up to the investors to decide. It's all dependent on their sensitivity. And I think we've done a good job of developing a rapport and relationship with investors who align with our thesis and have the same type of return expectations that we do. But right now, especially in this environment, we're seeing a lot of resistance and a lot of hesitancy from investors. Investors are looking for the priority on risk mitigation over outsized return. So that's our job is to find them those type of opportunities that address those risk potentials that we're seeing in the market right now. I want to transition the conversation, but one last thing. I want to get these words out in this order. Cody, it sounds like what you've done with industrial is you've given your investors the opportunity to diversify their portfolio into assets that will have higher cash flow presently in order to balance out the other investments that you were capable of making available in 2022 and are making available in 2023. Does that sound right? That's a perfect summary. Absolutely. Last thing before we head into the final phase of the show, Cody, as an investor who has found a deficiency in your primary asset class and the returns available from it, who has also successfully entered into a very different, in some ways, asset class in order to make up for some of those deficiencies. Give some advice to those of us who are active investors or involved in general partnerships or even limited partner passive investors who are looking to diversify their portfolio into a new asset class. What advice do you have to us for not only making the decision on what asset class to move to, but also how to dive headfirst into a different asset class where we don't already have the connections, the systems, the infrastructure, and the scale that we do in our primary? Sure. My advice is the same as if anyone just starting out new in any part of their real estate journey is go and find and network with the experts in that particular niche and build a rapport with them and start identifying the operators or the general partners in that space that really align with your values and your investing thesis and start identifying opportunities to work with other experienced people in that space. That's exactly how we started multifamily. That's how we got started in industrial. And it's the faster way to get into other opportunities, but also the least costly way to get into other opportunities by way of making too many mistakes. So my advice is the same is find the experts, network with those experts and partner with those experts when you're looking at other asset types. One follow-up question. When you're presenting yourself to the experts in a new asset class or in a new industry, the brokers, quote unquote, kingmakers, the people who have access to the things that you need, how is it Cody, that you demonstrated your value as a client or as a buyer to those people, given your lack of experience in the asset class? Well, the lack of experience in the asset class was a focal point, but the fact that we came from a multifamily space with a track record, with a history of experience in the multifamily space did give us credibility. 
We have several million dollars of assets under management as far as private equity that we've raised. We have our portfolio of deals that we're currently invested in, partnered in, operating. So when you look at our track record from that vantage point, we do have experience in commercial real estate. It just wasn't maybe centered around that specific asset type in industrial in this case. But again, when you look at the industrial model and you look at the multifamily model, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of transferable skills that translate across both asset types. So they're not as foreign as some people may think. So people were able to look at our existing track record and our history and give us credibility based on what we've done in the multifamily space. So if you have that, if you're an active investor now and you do have that experience and you're looking to tap into other verticals, leverage your track record to give yourself that boost of credibility. That makes a lot of sense. Cody, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. What is the best ever book you recently read? Best ever book I recently read, The One Thing. It's a great book for anybody that struggles with how to prioritize their task or really structure their day or their workflow. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. I forget the author's first name. I'm so sorry, but it's written by Gary Keller and uh, I want to say Jay Papasan. Yep. That's exactly right. Great book. What is your best ever way to give back? I love being able to give back to my community. So I actually donate to the local Houston's children's charity here. We have a monthly recurring donation installment that we do here. We also, every year we use our local monthly networking events that we host and we throw a big toy donation drive at the end of the year for our Christmas party that we give back to that same charity and find any ways that we can add value back to our community that way. Cody, on the properties you have acquired, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? Oh, that's a great question. I'll tell you the biggest mistake that I think we've made to date is on our first deal that we've partnered in. We got into a variable rate bridge debt without a rate cap. And it's causing us a lot of pain right now. And we're constantly working through options to get out of that exposure. But lesson learned from that is I'm a big believer in variable rate debt over the long term. I still think it makes sense, but I will never buy or invest in a deal that does not have a rate cap, whether it's required or not. So that's probably been the most costly mistake that we've made. And what is your best ever advice? Best ever advice Today, I would tell you again, keep it simple. I'm gonna go back to that acronym, keep it simple, stupid, right? Where right now, if you're owning and managing properties, it's the focus on the customer experience, the customer service, delivering a top-notch customer experience to your residents of your community so they wanna stay, and treating and giving your property managers and your on-site staff, the people that work with you and for you every day, giving them a top-notch customer experience as well as a value partner. I think if you do those two things, you're going to be able to navigate this market cycle pretty effectively. So just keep it simple. You don't need anything fancy. Just be a good steward of other people and you're going to be just fine. Last question. Where can people get in touch with you? All right. So Slocum, I know you guys have a huge follower here at Best Ever, but for anybody listening in, if you want to connect with me, make sure you go on any of your preferred streaming platforms. Make sure to leave Slocum and Best Ever a rating and review. And if you do, take a screenshot of it, text it to 832 743 1400 and i will personally reach out to you and set up a connecting call much appreciated cody and that cell phone number will be in the show notes 
Thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you did gain value from this episode, as Cody suggested, please do subscribe to our show and leave us a five-star review. Please also share it with a friend who you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks, Logan. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.